Go to Ruth. It's the eighth book in the Bible. All right. And you're going to get uh, a great story today in the story of Ruth. Uh, we have been following the story of God, and that's all we're going to continue to do is follow the story of God here. We started with creation, even before creation, and how God made all things, and then how Adam and Eve sinned. Sin entered creation and into the world. Death came with that. God provided a promise to Eve that a seed, a child from her body, a descendant of Eve, would set things right, would restore, would redeem which is what we're going to look at today. Uh, and then you start following the story of that seed, and it moves through the flood and Noah. It moves through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who becomes the nation of Israel. It moves through bondage in Egypt and Moses delivering the people out by the hand of God uh, in through the desert into the promised land. It moves to the point of entering the promised land through Joshua um, and the people begin to conquer this land that God promised to them, but they fall short of getting the job done. And as a result, they begin to intermix with sin and pagan worship and stuff like that. And God begins this process of raising up judges who free them, and then they go right back to bondage and sin. It's kind of this vicious cycle. So now we're coming to the end of that era of time. And we're looking at a woman named Ruth who was in that time, but right at the end of it. So today is love and legacy from total loss, what we're calling this thing. And I think all of us have experienced loss. Some have experienced great loss. I think most of us, if we're honest, would say we've never experienced total loss. There might be some, but I would say most haven't. To lose your home, to lose your spouse, to lose your children, to go to scraping for food. In fact, that's what we're going to look at today, two women who know that situation very well. But they also show us how God redeems lives in ways we could never have imagined. So normally I'd read a section, but we're going to read a lot today. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to jump in the Word in Ruth, okay? Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the privilege of opening it, of reading it, of holding it, of having it, of touching it. Um, just reminded again of Khalil as, as I'm holding this book. I mean, all we got to do is walk to the back table and grab a translation we like. And yet he's faced death uh, just for holding one. That wasn't a thousand years ago, Lord. That's right now. Pray that we always honor the fact that we have your word. Each one of us, not me, each one of us, or not me alone, I should say. So today, God, as we get into it, I pray that your word speaks, not me. Thank you for the privilege of having a microphone, of standing on a stage, but Lord, it's your word, not mine, and uh, I, I want to be a student. I want to learn like anybody else, so I ask these things in Christ's name, amen. So if you have a sheet out of the back, you got a point to remember. I always put one on there. It's this, despite the sin or loss that may come in our lives, if our faith is in Christ and we return to him, he's a redeemer who restores hope and a future to us, regardless of who we are or where we come from, okay? If that was wordy, you can get it on a piece of paper back there and look at it yourself. And also, most times I open with an illustration. It's all different this week, y'all. Most times I open with the illustration, but there's no reason to because we have four chapters of amazing illustration right here in the book of Ruth. So we're going to read it, but some background first, really quickly. We don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth herself did not write the book of Ruth. Most people think Samuel did because it ends 
by the book ends by listing the lineage of David. So whoever wrote it was alive during the time of David. It's likely that that was Samuel. Samuel is the next book in the Bible, which we'll come to next week. Um, Ruth is a bridge between the time of judges and the time of kings. So we are now moving, and you'll see this next week, we're moving into a focus on kings and away from judges. And as I mentioned, there's this cycle of good times where there's blessings because of Israel's faithfulness, and then horrible times because there's judgment because Israel's been sinful and unfaithful, and it's just this cycle all through Judges. Well, in the book of Ruth, we are at the back end of one of these bad times and moving into a good time. So it's in the decade or two of a transition period in that. That's when when Ruth falls. Um, and it says a lot about this book that is in Scripture. Just just think about this for a minute. It is a huge deal that this is in Scripture. It expresses the biblical importance of women to God. Um, people talk about the Middle East, especially in that culture. Imagine way back then. I mean, this is a book about women. In fact, the men that are mentioned here die really early on, and we don't know anything about what even killed them other than Boaz. But they... They, the the play, other players die right off, and you have these women that the book is about. It also expresses the missional mindset of God to all nations. And you're going to see it in a second. But you have this Moabite woman who becomes a matriarch in the family of Christ. A foreign woman who becomes a matriarch in the family of Christ. And the Jewish people would quickly argue, well, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Well... She's in the lineage of David, and you all believe in him. So either way, this Moabite foreign woman, her role in this is huge. She's a great-grandmother, a great-grandmother to David. And she very likely was alive when David was alive. Saw an awesome picture of your family with five generations, Dave, online. And so there's a good possibility that she was still alive when David was alive. All right? David, for time period's sake, David was alive around 1000 B.C. That's an easy way to remember. David is kind of a pivotal point in history. He's right around 1000 B.C. So that gives you a general idea where we are in time as well. Verse 1, chapter 1 of Ruth, verse 1. We are going to read this book, believe it or not, but we're going to do it quick. But I want to get the setting quickly. Verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. Now, I like this, and I hesitated to share it, but I'm going to. In the Hebrew, the way this reads, which Hebrew is the original language. So in the way this reads in the original language in the Hebrew, I'm going to read it literally. It says, and he was in the days of to judge the ones judging. And that he was famine in the land. Sounds a little different, right? Uh, now, there's, con- there's a little more in there, but, but I'm not trying to dig too deep. I just want you to hear that. And what do you picture? Sounds more like God is judging the judges and God is the famine, in a sense, that's in the land. This family then leaves. And you're going to see this in just a second. They're escaping this famine and going to live temporarily among pagan enemies of God. But this is an example of the last sentence in Judges. So we just read the first sentence in Ruth. Look at the last sentence in the book before it. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
So you have an instance of where it makes sense. You know, there's a famine. It's rough here. You know, it makes sense. Let's get out of here and let's go someplace where it's not, even if it's a place we're not supposed to go. All right. So we're going to read. Grab your Bible. Here we go. All right. We're going to take sections and we're going to pull it apart. And I promise we won't be here all day. But I've done this a few times and I thought, you know what? Let's get it in here. You guys can walk out of here saying, man, we covered a book. Uh, Verse 1 says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn, hang out for a while, in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And his, the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. They went into the country of Moab and they remained there. So they went to sojourn, but then they remained, keyword. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. They, uh, these two, uh, two sons took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. So they're there ten more years after the father dies. And both Malon and Chilon died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she would heard that in the fields of Moab uh, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she hears that, hey, one of these cycles, like there's judgment on the judges. God's is one of these bad times. Where God has brought famine on the land, so they leave. Now she's run into this horrific problem, and she finds out that, wow, there's grain starting to grow again. Things are good in Israel again. So Israel must have repented, things must have changed, and there's food back in Israel. Verse 7, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, look, man, go Return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with me and, and or dealt with the dead and with me. Again, don't even mention their names here with the dead uh, and with me. So she's like, you've been great with me. May God bless you guys, but go home. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Find a husband, get rest. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, go back, my daughters. Why will you? Why? Why go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? I got, you know, turn back, go home, go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. And even if I should have hope of a husband, even if I should uh, bear sons, uh, have sons this night. Look at verse 13. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No. My daughters, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. See, she knows that this has been God dealing with the choices they make. And she's hurting that her two daughters-in-law have been hurt by it. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her. Uh, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That word clung is an awesome word. It's just, it, just hold on tight, stick to, is what it, what it literally means. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. Look, Orpah went back and back to her gods. Go, go follow her. But Ruth said, don't urge me, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> That's my, my translation. 
Kind of like she wasn't in the army either, but you know, don't tell me what to do. Uh, she said, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And that's where I'm going to be buried. May the Lord do so to me more and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. In other words, God strike me down if anything but death takes me away from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. No more fight. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. That's not a good thing necessarily. Maybe both, but not necessarily. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Her name, Naomi, it means like joyful, happy, pleasant. Uh, Mara means bitter. Just straight up. No matter what translation you look at, Mara means bitter. Don't call me. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Where the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Uh, Samuel, one of the guys on the team, noticed that and said, How come nobody ever calls her? Mara, they call her Naomi from that point forward. <laughs> that was pretty observant. I don't know. But I, I, I think because she in this context is just saying, don't call me happy. I, I'm miserable. You know, I, I don't think she's literally saying call me Mara. I think she's just saying I don't deserve that name of pleasantness. But notice she knows she's guilty. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with I went away full, and look what she says. The Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty's brought calamity upon me, disaster upon me. Verse 22. So Naomi returned. This is kind of a summation. So, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter, in law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So telling you the time period, it's a good time. Time for food. That's the best time if you're hungry to come back. So we pause here for a quick second. Again, notice verse 1 says they went to sojourn, but then verse 2 says they remained there. That's telling you there's a problem. Also notice that they were there for 10 years after the father dies before the boys Clearly, God was being merciful and God was being patient. Clearly, 10 years that God was being merciful and God was being patient for what they, where they are. And the author here, he intends us to, it's a whole chapter. There's only four. That's a whole chapter. Clearly, the author here intends us to feel the weight of hurt. And this story, we always, if you know the story, we always race to the Redeemer and the redemption and the kinsman Redeemer and all that. There's a whole chapter dedicated to hurt here. I'm not calling it Job, but it's not far from it. You're close to a female Job here in a lot of ways. You're supposed to feel the weight of pain. And that's important because that helps you understand the beauty of redemption. That helps you understand the beauty of love and finding that there is a legacy yet, even still, that those things have been so bad. For us to understand grace, for instance, what I'm saying is, for us to understand grace, sometimes it's important that we focus on the horrors 
We focus on the sin. We focus on the pain so that we can see the love of Christ when he went to a cross. And she arose and she returned. I love that. The word returned is the word repented. Uh, It is one. There's a couple of words for repent, but that's it. She returned. She arose and she returned. She said she didn't say, "Okay, well, I got two daughters-in-law. I'm going to find a new husband. She got up and she went home. So I'm going back. You don't have to turn to this, but make a note of it. If you note in your Bible, you can note off to the side. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Same word. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts. Not your garments. Tear your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounds in grace, and he relents over disaster. That's exactly what she's just come through and what she's done. For Naomi, it was the worst. And she turned around and she went home in repentance. For Ruth, it was the worst. And she left home by faith and followed Naomi. Don't forget, Ruth lost her husband here. There's no small thing. Husband of, you know, a pretty good, what, 10 years maybe, as she lost her husband. And she glued, literally that word clung, glued herself to Naomi. I love that. Think about what that means. She's releasing everything. She's releasing her home. It's not like us where you just fly, you fly back. I mean, it's done. She's releasing her home. She's releasing whatever parents she had, whatever grandparents she had, whatever cousins she had, brothers, sisters, all that. Releasing all of that. All her past, everything she knows about the hills she played on and how she grew up, she's leaving all of that. She's leaving all of the friends that she had. She's leaving the land and the she's familiar with, like the smells of food, what's the best restaurant to eat in, you know what I mean? Where You know, the shortcuts, all that stuff. She's... Re- Letting all everything she knows go. The smell of mom's cooking in the kitchen, whatever it is, it's all gone. And the things that she worshipped. That's a huge deal. Things that she worshipped. When it says gods, that's not, and we play that down like, well, it's dumb little idols. But not, she worshipped those. Like she believed those things were doing something for her. She's walking away from all of that, not just to neutrality or a better life. She's going to the home of her enemies. Look, following Christ requires the exact same thing I just described. We just made it cheap. And I'm not throwing stones. I live in the same place you do. But it, 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 it requires the same thing. Chapter 1, verse 16, that should be our heart towards God. I go where you go. I'm clinging to you. I'm gluing myself to you. I'm, not, I'm going wherever you go. You will be my God, no one else. Your people will be my people. You leave it all. Ruth not only follows Naomi home, but she embraces poverty with her. She didn't go back to a palace. She'd been gone for over a decade, no intent to come home. And chapter 1, verse 19 says the whole town's in a stir. Uh, You know, what's going on? Is this Naomi? I thought Naomi was long gone. I thought she was dead. I I thought they were all gone. Oh, maybe they're cursed. All the guys died. Certainly there was judgment and racism on Ruth. I can promise you they were being judgmental and racist towards Ruth. 
Definitely when she goes to get scraps in the field, you'll see this in chapter 2. A couple of times there's a reference to young men threatening her. Um, it, it was not okay for her being there in a lot of ways. So imagine this that she's gone to. So let's go back into the text here. And let's read another chunk. So chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. That was her husband's name, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Look, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. In other words, lead me to a place where I can glean the fields. And she said to her, Go. They're hungry. They got to eat. They got to find food. So she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. What does that mean? She's picking up the scraps, right? So she's going and she's finding a place and picking up scraps. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And these people didn't have the fields in their backyards. They owned fields in different places. So the fields would link together. Kind of like when you look at the native land out here south of us. The fields all link together, but you don't see a house sitting there. All right. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. That's where he lived. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. Just a greeting. How are you doing? Great to see you. God be with you. What's up? And they answered, the Lord bless you. Just a greeting back. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, yo, who is she? Dave translation. Now. This, there's no language in here that says Ruth was beautiful, but there's good evidence for it. This would be one of those places. Uh, Boaz is like, hello, like, where did she, that's, you know, you put the heart behind the words. That's what, whose young woman is this? Who does she belong to? Who's her husband? Because no, she's not still single, you know. Uh, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Why do you think they say it like that? Uh, y'all can put yourself in various examples here, but that's like a racist statement in a lot of ways. She's that Moabite. You know? You, you all know where I'm going with that. Verse 7. She said... To him, please let me glean, and or no, they're saying what she had asked. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She took a little break, but otherwise, she's been at it all day. And Boaz said to Ruth, so he goes over to her, and he says, Hey, listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean. He's not literally calling her daughter. Obviously, that's just a kind-hearted statement. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young Women. So the women that he's given permission to work around his fields on the edges, he's saying, don't work your way around the different fields. Just stay in mind. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And in other words, he said, don't don't. He he told the men, leave her alone. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Man, is that a statement of grace. I wonder if you've ever done that to Christ. Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. The Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and you came to a people that you didn't even know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for for you comforted me and, and you've spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And in mealtime, Boaz, so dinner comes around, Boaz says, hey, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed uh, to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when he rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, the things you've got wrapped up and ready to go. And don't get mad at her. Don't reproach her. And also put some uh, from the bundles for her and let her leave her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening till later after dark. And then she beat out what she had gleaned to get the, the grain out of it. And it was about an ephah of barley, a lot, verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she gleaned. She also brought out and gave her her leftovers. Uh, and her mother-in-law says, where did you go? Dave translation. Where did you go today? Holy smokes. And where where did you work? Like, what, where did you score all of this? Blessed be the man who took notice of you, you know. And then she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with, and the man's name, uh, man's name with whom she'd worked was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So when she says, may he be blessed by the Lord, Whose kindness, she's saying God's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. May this man be blessed. She's realized that more than just having food, God has a plan here. Because she knows who Boaz is. As soon as she says Boaz, she's like, God's got a plan. He has not forsaken us. There's a legacy. He loves us. This man's a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, that's not all. He also said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with these young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So that's telling you clearly where she stood in things, besides being a woman, also being a Moabite. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and what wheat harvest when she lived with her mother-in-law. So time passes, considerable time passes. Getting close to done with this. But the cool part about this is it's God's word entirely. You can take it with you. Verse three, chapter three, verse one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it will be well with you? So after all this, you know, however much time passes now, because we started at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now we're at the end of that and the wheat harvest. And so she's like, listen, can I not find some rest for you? You live with me. I like being alone. Go away. Not really. But whatever reason, she wants her to find a husband. Is not Boaz our relative? He's related. With whose young women you were. See, he's winnowing in the barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on some perfume. Put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. And she replied, okay, I'll do that. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he was a little tipsy. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, take a little nap. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, why did she uncover his feet? I've heard lots of weird, strange interpretations of that. There's nothing weird or strange about that. What happens if you're asleep and your feet are suddenly uncovered? Huh? Get a little bit cold and likely going to wake you up. So it was just a way to wake him up. So he's asleep. She uncovers his feet. That gives her you know, a little bit of time to lay there and act normal before he realizes his feet are uncovered and starts kicking at the blanket or whatever to get his feet covered back up. And then, oh, whoa, there's somebody laying there. That's all. It's just a, just a little ruse they plan here. What's that smell? I smell perfume. You know, what, what's that? there's a lady at my feet. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, at midnight, he startled. He turns over verse 9. He said, who are you? Remember, she's wrapped up in her, she's got on her um, robe or whatever. Uh, and she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, it's funny that, but that uh, Naomi said, you go do that, and he'll tell you what to do next. But all he does is ask, and she says this. Like, she knew what to say right away. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you've not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich. So he, we don't know how old he is, but he's obviously a little bit older and he's so moved that she cared about him. Like you got all these young hot guys out here, but you're looking at me. You know, you're, you're looking at me. I'm older, but you're looking at me and I'm so blessed. And now, my daughter, don't fear. I'll do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow kinsmen know that you're a worthy woman. And now it is true that I'm a redeemer. Yes, yet there's a redeemer nearer nearer than I. So there's one ahead of me. There's somebody who has a right before I do in the family. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, all right, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will. Lie down until the morning. So she lays at his feet until the morning. At his feet. At his feet. Nothing funny happened here. Laid at his feet until the morning. But arose before anyone could recognize one another. So she still slips off before people see what, you know, what's happened here. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did your mother-in-law said, how did you fare? So he gives her some reason for being there. Like, here's a bunch of barley that we will say you came to get it, you know. Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must go back, not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out. For this man will not rest until this is handled today. Like, she's all pumped and excited. She's like... Just wait till you see what's going to happen. Like she just knows it. He'll do this. This will be done today. This will be done today. There was a law in Leviticus 19.9. You can look it up in your own time. That says that God put in place generations before that said don't glean all the way to the edge of your fields. Like when you're. It was basically. 
you know, a plan for the, the homeless or for those who were destitute while they were getting back on their feet to be able to have food. There's a welfare system in the long and short of it that God put in place. He said, take, glean your fields, but leave the edges untouched so that the poor can have that. So that was put in place by God. And here is an example of somebody generations later being provided for through that. There's two other laws that are at work here really quickly. There's this kinsman redeemer law that we're talking about, which is from Leviticus 25, 23, which is about the land so that the family land didn't get lost. A family member could redeem that land, could basically buy it back, keep it in the family, assume it is his land. So that, that's what the kinsman redeemer means. That's one law. But there's another law that's associated with providing family. Not just keeping land, but providing family. That comes from Deuteronomy 25.5 that says that you have a responsibility if a woman becomes uh, a widow, loses her husband, to provide family for her if she doesn't have children. Uh, somebody in your family does. So both of these laws, are actually all three of these laws, are at play here. But two of them especially... Um, in providing children and that spread your wings is so cool in there. It speaks of provision, protection. It's very poetic, obviously. But she said, he said, you came here under God's wings like God covers you. But then she looks at him and says, you spread your wings over me. A beautiful picture of marriage. God covering, covering both of them and him covering her. Let's get the last of it and we're done. Chapter 4, verse 1, and I'll sum this all up real quick. Now Boaz had gone out, gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, hey, look, come here, man. Just sit down a minute. Let's talk. And he gathered ten of the elders and said, sit down. We, we've got some business we need to talk about here. Verse 3 said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, as you know, and she's selling off her land that belonged to her, you know, our, our relative, her husband, Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, you know what, buy it now in the presence of these elders. Redeem it if you're going to. But if not, tell me because I'm going to. And the guy says, I will buy it. Absolutely. Well, verse 5, then Boaz says, the day you buy the field you're from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. Now he's calling her that. But that's because he knows what people think of it. The widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So that's what he's invoking that other law. You have a responsibility to provide children for, for her too when you take that land. Then the Redeemer said, well, I can't redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Like, I'm not clouding up my own children. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I don't want this woman. So take it. Verse 7, now the woman... Now, this was the custom in former times. They swapped a sandal. I know it's weird, but it's telling you that was the custom. So, in verse 8, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he gives him his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day, I bought from Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and his sons. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought her to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers uh, and from the gate of his native home. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people at the gate and the elders said, well, yep, we're witnesses. We affirm that. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who together built up the whole house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this woman. If you want to know who all those people are, go back and look. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and gave, I love this, the Lord gave her conception. There's a little side note, by the way. One of the arguments about life, we ain't going to have it right this second, but there's a little side note. Conception came from God, not from Boaz. And she bore a son. Verse 14. Then the Lord who has not left you this day, or blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. These are all the women saying this to grandma now, Naomi. And may his name be renowned, this child's name be renowned in Israel. He be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to this child. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the woman of the na- women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son shall be born to Naomi. And the name they gave him is Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. All of the book points to the end here. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. It's all pointing to David. All right. There's a theme here, even in the Old Testament, more than a thousand years before Christ. Of God showing his love and providing even for Gentile enemies. Moabites were considered enemies. Deuteronomy 23, 3, 3 through 6 in that, in that range in there. God tells them they, they can't even allow Moabites into the family. They don't even get to be specifically Moabites. Don't get to be part of Israel. So why is Ruth in here? She has no business being in here. It's because God shows his grace and mercy in that Ruth put her faith in him and backed it by her deeds and her actions. And she embraced this God who provided for her. And she's even called worthy before it's over by the people in the town that recognize her for that. The story finishes here with this Ruth moving from this pagan woman living separate from God and his people as an enemy by nature of her birth, a Moabite, to now living in the land of promise, in the family of God, being married to a man who would give her a home and children, one of which would be king in Israel, and one of which would be the Messiah of Israel down the road. Love and legacy through redemption and faith, even after total and complete loss. She could have never seen that coming. Story of God, though. The picture of Christ. We'll finish with this. The picture of Christ in this story, and this is the reason I read it all to you. For one, you can go out of here saying we read a whole book today, okay? So we did. Uh, but in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, May your Redeemer's name, the child, be called throughout Israel. May he, this child, he will be for you as one renewing your life, your soul sustaining you. Mary would have a child that you could say the same thing about. That would be Jesus. Boaz is a picture of Christ, kinsman, redeemer. Naomi is a picture, in a sense, of Israel. Ruth is a picture of the church and the Gentile people being brought in and united. 
Um, Orpah is a picture of the nations at large who look to God for a minute, but then turn around and go back when they get close to the edge. Rest in chapter three, verse one. Shall I not seek rest for you? That's marriage. It's the idea of a woman finding rest in the arms of a man who provides for her food, clothes, shelter, family. That's Christ. In Hebrews, there's a giant section dedicated to by faith in Christ. We enter his rest. That's the picture. We become family. Boaz was claiming the land here and Ruth. Not one or the other. Not that she was simply an object connected to the land, but that Boaz himself would inherit the land only long enough to provide a child to Ruth who would assume it. Ruth was not property. She's Part of the responsibility of the Redeemer here, Boaz, to provide children through her to take back the family land. Christ does the same thing for us. He gave us an inheritance. He takes back the land that Adam lost. He redeems people and charges them with making disciples, growing a family that will inherit the land, the kingdom that Christ bought back for us. Um, maybe you're... Not seeing it in your life. Maybe your life's been wicked horrible. Maybe you've been at the edge of total loss. Maybe you've been over the edge of total loss. I don't really know. Maybe it's time for you to look for the Redeemer. Maybe it's time for you to go to Christ, so to speak, and uncover his feet. Lay down and say, take take my life. Take my life. He owns more than a field. I don't care how bad it is. He owns more than a field. He owns... All of creation. Can you admit who you are? You have to tell me I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a failure. I know by nature I am not part of your family. I know it. Can you believe in who he is? Living, loving creator who made everything and loves you and cares about you. Can you trust what he accomplished? That's all it is. I can't ever get there. I know it, but I know you can. I can't fix what's going on here, but I know you can. I know that my good will never be good enough, but your cross was. I know I'll never get out of the grave, but I believe you did. Can you trust all that? If you can, tell him. That's all you got to do. Tell him. And if you're a believer here, I'm going to end with this. It might have been a hard road where you are right now. I don't know. It might have been a hard road. And you might be on a hard road at the moment. And there's a verse that I always stick in my head and it's really pertinent to the moment to help you remember that there that he does love you no matter how great the loss. And it's Job nineteen twenty five and it'll be on your board up here. But it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. Job's saying this after all of the horrors in his life. And at the last he'll stand on the earth. Think about this. Job is the first book in the Bible. I know it's not numerically, but the oldest. And he's saying he already knows his Redeemer will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet my flesh, in my flesh I will see God. He's saying that I know that I'm going to die. But even after my skin is rotten and gone, I know that I will be raised up in my own skin. I will be raised new and I'll see my God who stands on earth, whom I shall see for myself. My own eyes will behold him and not another. My heart faints within me. I don't care how bad it gets. Know that. Know that. Pursue 
that with all you got. Cool? Uh, stand up with me, and I'm going to invite John to come back up, and we'll do another song. But I can tell you this. One thing that's awesome from Ruth is that God desires worship from all nations. It's a fact. And Revelation makes clear that one day around the throne, there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, language, all nations, period. And we have the opportunity to be part of that in sharing the gospel. That's the greatest, most important thing we can do. That's the one thing he called us to do. Let me pray. Lord, you are amazing. Thank you for Ruth. I know we read a lot today, but it's all your word. It was fun. It's it's the time to go back, put ourselves there for a few minutes and imagine what must have been like in her life. But Lord, I pray we don't leave it there. We walk out of here not having just read some story, but having learned about what you did and how you acted in somebody's life. That no matter what we may be facing, Lord, you have a plan. You love us. You can provide, you already see a legacy in front of us when we don't even know how it's possible. Help us be faithful to you and what you've charged us to do and trust, God, that you're going to do the rest. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.